And now, right to your hosts of Down the Garden Path, Joanne Shaw and Matthew Dressing. everyone to Down the Garden Path, where we discuss down-to-earth tips and advice while doing our best to help you seasonally manage your garden and landscape. I'm Joanne Shaw, owner of Down to Earth Landscape Design, and with me is my co-host, Matthew Dressing. Hello, Matthew. Sorry I was late. Thanks for waiting for me, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) No worries. Good evening and Welcome, everyone. Thank you for joining us. I'm Matthew Dressing, owner of Natural Affinity Garden Design. As landscape designers and gardeners, we believe it's important and possible to have great gardens, which are sustainable and low maintenance, and we want to help you make it happen. That's right. And this month on Down the Garden Path, we are looking at some of our favorite perennials. Tonight, we're working our way to the end of June with a look at two classic perennials who have long been staples in our garden. And I'm curious to know who has them in their garden, aren't you, Matt? Yes. Yes. Flocks and Campanella. Whether you're looking for someone with, for something with height, not someone with height, you're looking for a tall, anyway, something with height (laughs) (laughs) or something with a little lower, uh, that is a little lower growing. These classics have got you covered. Um, So do you have flocks or Campanella in your garden? Which varieties? Because like we said, there's some tall ones and there's some not so tall ones, right? Some ground cover ones. Um, How do they grow for you? Which one's your favorite? And uh, let us know by writing us here at instudio101 at gmail.com. And I love it when we get off to these weird and wacky starts. Thanks to me and my technical challenges. <laughs> Technology. Don't you just love it? Don't you just love it? Yeah. See, the podcast people listening, when you listen to the podcast, you now know that we're late because, you know, it's a podcast. But those lovely radio listeners that have been waiting, wondering where in the world are they at 7 p.m. on Eastern Standard Time? We're late because of me. <laughs> so uh, I'm on my husband's computer. Um, and uh, so, yeah, well, so you've got the emails because I won't be able to see them. Zoom is working. Headphones are working. Those are two really the most important things, right? That's right. That's right. We are here. And yes, I said, uh, whether you're looking for someone with some height or someone with lower growing, I always think of plants as, as people. living people like he or she, right? Yes, They're I know. All temperamental, have their own likes oh, and dislikes. But I don't know why reading it made me feel like we're it was like, <laughs> <laughs> It's totally, you were right. It's totally incorrect. However, <laughs> I know, I know, I get it. But I'm excited uh, to talk about these two because uh, one I've been using, it's funny because one I've been using more of lately and one I used to use all the time when I first started and I have, I can't even remember the last time. I certainly don't have it in my garden and I can't remember the last time I put it in someone else's garden. So yeah, so I'm excited to hear from our listeners and your perspective as well about flocks and campanella yeah two great uh, perennials that are still out there and available and Mm -hmm. constantly being grown and hybridized etc so yeah lots of classic old varieties and cultivars Uh, and then there's a lot of new and exciting ones uh, Mm -hmm. as well for sure yeah so do you want to start with flocks Let's start with flocks. Sure, let's start with flocks. So <laughs> flocks, that's also his genus name, flocks. So flocks by genus uh, have two different species that we'll often see. So we'll see uh, subulata and we'll see paniculata. Mm-hmm. Uh, both are native to the eastern United States and southeastern Canada. So there are North American natives, but there are also a lot of other species. Okay. There we'll see that have slightly different forms and shapes that are also native elsewhere as well. Okay. Uh, but but it's not point. a true, true native, or then it's been hybridized, the ones we typically use. We'll see a lot of the cultivars of our, our native forms. Right. But we we rarely see the straight species uh, anymore. Okay. Right. Okay. Yeah. That's good. Um, so I think people, sim- to simplify... It's like, yeah, yeah, to ground cover, you know, that they're just finished blooming. They were, they had a long, because May was so kind of cool and, 
you know, with some hot peaks and then cool down again. Uh, I feel like the ground cover, the spreading, the low creeping flocks is as commonly used. Yeah. Uh, really, really, you know, some seasons when it gets hot fast, it's like one and done, right? It's it's out and then it's done. But this year, I feel like it really, really uh, shined in people's gardens and lasted a little bit longer. And um, and it's nice. It, it kind of comes up, I find, I'm starting to use it more because I feel like it bridges the gap from the bulbs to the other perennials, you know, because mm-hmm. sometimes things go from like really colorful with bulbs and then nothing. And then you wait for the perennials. And I feel like the creeping flocks, having it in um, dotted in, because it doesn't, it's not huge. It's low growing and, and, and very, uh, very shades of kind of pastel-y, right? There's a few bright pink ones. Whoops. Oh. And... <laughs> That's what I get for talking with my hands. Um, but uh, I think I'm starting to put it more in, you know, on edges and um, it's mine has done well, surprisingly uh, along the um, my walkway. So it's gotten like quite a bit of snow load. So I bought some more to put along the curb to see how it does in the winter. Yeah. Oh, very nice. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Do you like it? I do. You know what? Um, the creeping flocks or the moss flocks. That's our panicula subulata. So if you think sub underneath or low, um, lower, the subulata, I quite like it. There's a house that uh, I pass by regularly in our neighborhood and they're a quarter lot and they've built up this tall rock garden. So great for rock gardens, Mm -hmm. alpine kind of settings. Um, And they have a huge swath of it they've it's been there for quite a while and i'm sure they put in a couple other ones but there's a, a light pink one and a blue one uh that grow there and they're like two to three feet wide uh they cover the hill that's about uh, about two and a half feet tall uh, so okay. they're big large swaths and like you said we've had a cooler um season so far so the mm-hmm. flowers really held on i was able to enjoy them for a very long time. Like you said, when it gets really hot, that speeds through the flowers uh, production. They can be very small. Uh, they can grow smaller. They can um, grow fewer or they can just, they grow normal size, but last very, very little. Mm-hmm. So these yeah. ones were a literal, just gorgeous, gorgeous blanket for weeks at a yes. time. And I mean, even when they lose their leaf, uh, lose their flower, I mean, that's one thing I've started to appreciate was actually, like you said, moss flocks, like the texture of the foliage and the green ground cover, like it's still okay. It's still there, right? It's not like it, it's not like a bulb where it, um, you know, you have to wait for something to die and then remove it or something that, um, you know, doesn't look good after it blooms. I think it looks okay. It's, it, it's a great understory um, for pl- other plants that might come up and then you kind of have that flocks underneath. Uh, so I think it's pretty versatile and I'm, you know, after all these years designing, I'm, I'm kind of seeing new purposes for it, but I do like it. Um, like you said, around rocks, like, I think that's, um, quite nice. Yeah. That nice, like needle evergreen foliage is just so dense, uh, mm-hmm. that it, the texture between like a rock or a harder surface, um, or like you said, like a living ground cover yes. playing around the bases of uh, other shrubs or larger perennials that have yet to fully leaf out mm-hmm. uh, or grow up. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's a good um, companion to, we talked about sedums last week, Yes. right? And the different varieties of sedums and the different textures of sedums and the flocks can kind of go in that, right? And and I think it's got a, it's a, they'll be a little bit taller, like a little thicker. I almost think of it as thickness, right? Because yes. I wouldn't call any of the sedum, the ground cover sedums or the, or the flocks tall, but I would say they're a little bit thicker, but kind of an interesting texture and they do kind of weave together. Yeah, you get that nice, you're right, with the thickness, right? Yeah. That, that needly evergreen foliage almost looks so soft and thick and matted. Uh, yeah, so it does add that beautifully, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. So a little bit about some of our growing conditions. We're tantalizing our listeners with these uh, this versatile ground cover. Uh, but, you know, our flock subulata, we're going to see them hardy from anywhere from zone two all the way through zone nine. So we've got a great... Uh, you know, way up in Canada, uh, all the way down to mid-southern United States, they're going to love full sun. So these guys prefer full sun as much as you can give them. They will tolerate a nice partial shade. So if you can give them some good quality hours through the mid part of the day, um, they will 
take some shade at other times of the day. But they do want to be out during that time, uh, that mid time where the sun okay. is definitely the brightest. Like you said, again, a nice low growing evergreen matted kind of appearance. We're going to see them growing depending on the cultivar in a range from four to six inches tall. Mm. And then they're going to grow anywhere, again, depending on that cultivar, anywhere from six to 12 inches wide as well. So a nice sprawling evergreen mat of needle-like foliage. Uh, again, just nice for a nice edge or a border or amongst the rocks. As far as our soil, it does prefer average soil. So you don't need anything too special. It will tolerate some humus rich or some good organic matter. Uh, in the soil as well, uh, and prefers average soil dra drainage and tolerates drought very well. So okay. when you've got that a nice established um, creeping flocks or moss flocks, uh, and those rock gardens, or again, like you said, like along the edge of the walk or against the driveway, mm -hmm. but she gets established in there, that drought will be quite uh, tolerable for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and even I've seen I have one home by me that also has like large swaths, and it is actually that strip between two driveways. Yes, and, yeah. and they've got a bunch of rocks, and they've kind of, and then they've got like different colors, kind of just. It's almost when you look at it full in bloom, it's almost like a painting. Yes. you know, it's like you've got brush strokes of this color pink, and this color pink, and this color purple, and this color. You know, it really, yeah, it's really quite lovely. So, um, so yeah, that would be so striking. Mm -hmm. I was yeah. in Toronto visiting a friend, and I forget where we were walking down one of the major roads. I think Avenue. And there was a side of a house who had something very similar, but on an angle, had beautiful rocks. And in the spaces, instead of planting like a ground cover like that, they just put weirdly odd shaped, like ovals and kidney bean shapes of artificial turf. And I was like, oh, that's so sad because you could do such a beautiful show. You're on the edge of a major Meaning road. Meaning like, like they wrapped artificial turf into shapes and stuff? <laughs> no, like they were like cut out into like the shape of a kidney bean or like a oh. weird oval and then they were on like a 45 degree angle nearly, but there were these big, beautiful boulders that were just left. And with the sidewalk, it was just so stark and like <laughs> harsh looking, it was brutal. <laughs> That's so funny, eh? With the things we see that other people don't see. Yes. <laughs> I know, it's like, oh. I know. Here's my card, sir. I know, exactly, put it under the rock. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, um, so yeah, I'm excited that these are, can go to all the way to zone two. So that's great for our Northern gardeners, right? Yeah, exactly. We're going to hit like Northern Manitoba, uh, with mm -hmm. a zone two. So that province and territorial line, uh, through Canada for sure. And Perfect. then we're looking at South Carolina and a little further across the States, yeah. uh, with our zone eight and nine. And, uh, you, we have in our notes about the, the cost of them. They do tend to, cause they tend to be the the subulata one I feel is a little bit more inexpensive because they often Definitely. sell it in like the four inch pots, especially early in the spring, Yeah, the four inch pots. And then the one gallon pots that are usually like full, but once they start blooming, they're like more expensive, right? Cause it's full and, and the, and the creeping flocks is you now kind of come outside of the container. And so it's a bit, you know, and so they might be a little bit more towards $20, right? 15, between 15 and $20. Yeah. But when they stop blooming and they're all green, that's also when they tend to, uh, you know, be able to get them a bit more on sale as well. So there is something to buy almost after they're finished blooming for, for a really good deal. Yeah, exactly. And when you buy a one gallon pot, like, like you said, it's overflowing. Yeah. Um, and if you can catch those on sale, they're great to, yeah. to fill so in a, for sure. So it's a good deal. It's a good deal. So then the opposite are the tall ones, right? Yeah. Did we have any questions that you wanted to get to before we go on to the next one? You know what? No questions so far. I mean, oh, okay. we did have, um, as I looked, we did have Steve right in. Uh, he sent us a very cool picture that we'll have to take a look at. Uh, he shared a white aloe vera plant. He's living Ooh. in Tampa, Florida. I uh, just oh, thought wow. he'd want to see it. So Very um, cool. I've got it on my phone, actually. Thank you, Steve. That is very cool. It is very cool. Um, and then Spring has also written in, hi, Joanne and Matt. With food prices rising so much, cannabis growers are back to growing veggies. Huh? And she sent a little little meme, local drug dealers now growing lettuce, <laughs> which is very funny, too. Which is very funny, yeah. <laughs> and as I say no, Irene um, has written in as well, saying, hi, Joanne and Matt, do you deadhead these? No, good question, Irene. You don't need to necessarily deadhead them. You can leave them. However, 
the moss flocks and the creeping flocks, they do do very well um, with a good shear right deep into the foliage. So you've got, like, say it's about four inches thick, taking off a good half uh, deep into that, that uh, evergreen mat of, of foliage for our subulata will encourage a nice vigorous reflush of bright uh, olive to emerald green foliage hardening off into its darker evergreen. So if it does look a little ratty or over the years you've got a nice big clump, maybe as a few dead spots in it, giving it a nice good shear will help refill it in and give it some nice new vigor again. So excellent okay. question, Irene. Yeah, thank yeah. you. I had it in the notes and we were we were moving along. <laughs> oh, there we go. Well, now you said so it rejuvenates the foliage, but it's you're not going to get a second bloom, right? No, no. It's okay. Not. I think we were talking on the weekend or on Friday about that too, was I've rarely, or and you've rarely seen it really give you a really good mm -hmm. bloom. I've seen yeah. the odd time it's like a bubble here or there, just a little cluster pop up. Uh, and I think that's more like stress conditions or, mm -hmm. you know, wacky weather. And I've seen that once maybe every like five to seven years okay. on a random plant so no there's no real reblooming okay. and I don't know of any reblooming species either they're all going to be mid-spring to late spring um, and then quick or nice and long like this year depending on our spring mm -hmm. yeah. yeah and so like I mentioned it is a good thing when you're planting your bulbs it's you know certainly not going to grow up tall enough to hide um the uh, the foliage of the leaves or anything but it is like a nice stopgap you know, to, to kind of take your eye away, I think, from the dying foliage of your tulips and, and daffodils to, you know, looking at something else that's bright. Um, I think I've got some by one of my large rocks and then my my roseanne geranium, which, you know, gets off to yeah. a little slower start. So then that's done. And then the roseanne just kind of covers it and it, we're all good to go. So, yeah, I think it's a I think it really does belong almost in everybody's garden. And I think the season and, and I think it has been that early season this year that got me really thinking, like really appreciating it again. Um, so I put it into a lot of designs because um, I've always said, you know, I, I don't do a ton of perennials necessarily in my designs, but they have to bloom for more than two weeks, you know, aside from a peony, of course, everybody needs to get a peony, but those like, you know, really quick bloomers that are kind of one and done, eh, I'm, you know, I'm not as much of a fan for it. So if we can get a couple weeks out of um, the subulata flocks and they're key weeks I think from the bulbs to the other perennials mm -hmm. then I think it's uh, and they don't take up a lot of space and virtually no maintenance right that's right so that's right. I think they're perfect um, but the other one has a place in most gardens too right you know what this one has long been referred to a mainstay mm. of every perennial garden or mm -hmm. perennial border since time immemorial mm -hmm. um classic beautiful beautiful um paniculata our flocks paniculata so much like our hydrangea paniculata we're going to see them grow up with those domes or those pointy clusters or panicles on the top of our foliage or upright uh stems of foliage these are a little bit more short-lived um perennials so they may need some dividing or some replacing uh just to keep them vigorous and growing as well but again a great showstopper blooming anywhere from early summer all the way through mid fall depending on the cultivar we're going to grow them in full sun and they can grow anywhere from two feet to four feet tall mm -hmm. uh, depending on the cultivar again much like our um, flock subulata our creeping flocks nice average to humus rich soil preferring more on the average side um, prefers average soil moisture and again once established tolerating the dry conditions very very well um, again so and again we get lots of colors as well so blooming mm -hmm. early summer through mid-fall we're going to see white light pink pink lavender mauve uh, lilac and there are even some uh, true like bright red uh, varieties as well out there um, and I, I was given a coral one. So it's got yeah. quite the coral uh, look to it. And I have to say, you know, one of the things that I love about it is I think of all you mentioned, you're right, you know, you often do need to divide them, um, that your clump might get a little big and kind of die out in the center and dividing them. I think it is the number one shared perennial well-behaved shared perennial right <laughs> well-behaved so because usually you know my saying when I tell people like 
you know, if you, if somebody's giving you something, that means they have too much of it, which means you will surely have too much of it, but that's not the case with flocks, right? Like it is not the clump, the clump stays a reasonable size. And you know, like we said, it kind of might die out a little bit on the, on the fringes or in the center, which means you have to divide it, but it doesn't seed. It doesn't jump. It doesn't run. It's easy to, you know, it, it really is a very, very, I, I can't think of anything more well-behaved, actually. I'm just trying to think, you know, yeah. um, it's very well-behaved. Um, I'd like to do a no staking. Like I'm not fond of having to add stakes, you know, and it's, it's not quite as, as floppy as let's say a, a Russian sage or a delphinium, but um, you know, it's good to have it kind of tucked in between other plants. I think it will lean towards the sun. Um, but otherwise, you know, it's a pretty, pretty good one. The foliage is nice and green and I haven't seen it prone to any insect damage. Um, sometimes I know some of the, uh, is it the cultivars that get a little bit of mildew? I just say, yeah, the, the main thing in a lot of the breeding for them and the crossing for our, our upright flocks or garden flocks, um, yeah, mm -hmm. is for the powdery mildew resistance for sure. Um, especially when we get hot, humid weather and we end up watering at the soil or getting the base of the foliage <clears throat> where there's lower air circulation, these guys can go white within a matter of days uh, if you've got powdery mildew. So if you know you have powdery mildew in your garden or you've bought it before, especially with some of the larger trees, like I think a Norway maple off the top of my head especially, um, check for your uh, powdery mildew resistant varieties and cultivars. Okay. The only other thing that we can see on our paniculata or our garden uh, flocks, <coughs> pardon me, is in very hot weather or extended hot weather, we might see a touch of spider mites. So oh, they will okay. enjoy coming and they create that weird modeling on the foliage. So it looks like it's kind of like speckling very finely. Uh, but then we also see the telltale signs of the nice uh, thick or sorry, very fine, dense webbing as well. And that's our, our telltale sign of our spider mites. If you look closely there, they're moving around in there. But yeah. other than that, yeah, those are the two major things and very, otherwise very disease uh, resistant and left, mm -hmm. left to do their thing. Yeah, yeah. And a really good companion plant that goes with a lot of other things. You know, I have, I have some with like this purple salvia, which we've mentioned. Yes. I think we did salvias last year, right? In perennial yep. month. Um, but speed wells. Yeah. And, um, but also with, uh, do, 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 what's my other thing I'm trying to think of? Well, even with roses and even, um, you know, they just blend nicely. I, I kind of like the pink, the other varieties versus a white, because, you know, hydrangeas at that time of year, they're kind of blooming about the same time as other hydrangeas, a lot of the hydrangeas, right, which are already white. So I feel like adding a, a second color is, is nice. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you I mean, I, I, I just, I think they perform quite well for um, a good part of the summer with a lot, um, not a lot of ma management. So I think it definitely falls in the category that clients ask for as far as low maintenance, uh, a low maintenance perennial. Yeah, definitely. These are easy care, low maintenance perennials. And that's true about our companions for the most part as mm -hmm. well. Um, we're going to see low care, easy maintenance. If you do like white, I just wanted, I think I jumped over it when we were talking about colors. A lot of the flox cultivars also come with colored eyes. So what you'll see is that nice panicle with those rounded five star points, those rounded five petals, uh, making kind of a rough star. And what we'll see is either solid colors, but we can also get bi colors and bi tones. And a lot of them will have a colored eye or throat. So right in the center of the flower, uh, you know, we'll see like a, a nice pink, but then we'll see a nice darker rose pink in the middle. Or we'll have mm. a very nice light lavender or pink uh, out on the outside of the petal, but the eye is a pure crystal white as well. So there's some good variation there as well. So you can get those white. I was just thinking like with your hydrangeas with, you know, wanting white, but maybe you had mainly a white garden or you did like white, there's a way to work in that color, but also that white as well. So there's some flexibility there. Mm -hmm. We also didn't tell um, our listeners that we can also see a few like, um, the shockwave and I think gold mine and gold mine improve. Um, they'll come with variegated foliage ah. as well. So we can get a nice green center along the midrib and then a nice irregular cream or white, uh, usually kind of a cream or a gold color around the edges as well. So there's 
some ways to add some interest in there as well. Just thinking as you we always like, you know, perennials that do multiple things when yeah. it's not in flower, you've got a nice kind of uh, variegated color mm -hmm. there as well. As yeah. she grows. Well, that's good. So as um, we, oh, go ahead. Was no, there anything you else? Mm -hmm. No, I think, I don't know. I don't know what else to positive to say about them, you know? Well, um, I was going to say as well, just some of our other uses. Um, you kind of talked about designing with them um, just as well as they are very fragrant. There are a number of them that have a beautiful uh, fragrance to them. They're great as cut flowers or dried flowers. Uh, so you can take off all the leaves and, and or use the leaves if you're putting them into a vase hang them and dry them. They make a nice uh, dry panicle. They're great as a mass plantings. Again, if you imagine the border groups of threes or fives as a backdrop mm -hmm. or a small step up in their gradation. And they're very attractive to hummingbirds and butterflies because those panicles have a, just a nice uh, little bit of a throat on them as they reconnect to the panicle spire. So yeah, hummingbirds, butterflies, cup flowers, fragrance, oh, mass good. planting are a few of our other uses. Yeah. Now, what about zone? <laughs> Did I miss that? No, I probably missed that. But they're going to be anywhere from zones four to eight. So okay. not as cold hardy as our subulata, yeah. uh, but definitely zone fours through eight. So a good, good range as well. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, that is a good one. Um, yeah, so again, if you have either of those, whether you have the creeping flocks in your garden or the um, the taller flocks, the garden flocks, as we like to call it, we would love to hear from you or love a picture even. And uh, if you have any concerns uh, about yours or questions, we would love to hear them. Um, so yeah, and so on to, um, yeah, we can talk about shortly after our uh, midway little break, we can talk <laughs> about the Campionellas, which is that's the one. So I've started to use the floxes a lot more, especially the creeping flocks. I've been using the, the, the garden flocks for a while, but the Campionellas were like all the rage when I, it's funny because I worked in the garden center when I was first a designer and saw them all the time. And I love purple. So I use them all the time. And then, and then I just, I don't know what happened. And I stopped using them. So, uh, so yeah. So I'm looking forward to us talking mid up more about them. Yes, exactly. And just as you're saying, this do my thing, and mm -hmm. our mid show station ID. <laughs> uh -huh. So thanks everyone for joining us here live on Reality Radio 101. I'm Matthew Dressing here with my co-host Joanne Shaw, and you're listening to Down the Garden Path. Joanne and I enjoy hosting Down the Garden Path each week, bringing you interesting and relevant topics to help you achieve a great garden. You can also do so when you're off the air by buying our brand new book, Down the Garden Path, a step-by-step -step guide to your Ontario garden, available now on Amazon. We enjoy learning every week with you, along with you here on the show, through our research, and for the wonderful guests to join us here throughout the show over the year. Again, don't forget, you can spend more time with us on Down the Garden Path. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Our handle there is at Down the Garden Path Podcast. You can also find us on your favorite podcast provider with a plethora of wonderful uh, episodes, past episodes, covering lots more perennials than we will this month. Uh, and don't forget to hit that subscribe button to be notified of new content. And please don't forget to like and share and leave us a comment. We love hearing from you. You can always write us here at instudio101 at gmail.com. You can also write us to the podcast web uh, or email address, web address, email address, down the garden path podcast at hotmail.com. So down the garden path podcast at hotmail.com. Joanne and I both get to see that. Yes, that's the key part, right, Matt? We both yes. get that email. It goes to both <laughs> of our email addresses. So yeah, perfect. So we'll be quicker to respond and see your emails. So yes, thank you everybody for tuning in. And if you're listening to the podcast, hello to you too. Speaking of writing in, uh, Sue has written in, I think in response to our, what are your favorite plants? Tell us your, uh, give us your questions and let us know what you're growing. Uh, Sue has written in, hi, Garden Path. My Osiria rose or Syria, or I think as I'm pronouncing it right, or it's a hybrid rose. Uh, Sue is in zone 7B. Athens, Georgia, loving the show. So thank you very much for sharing uh, one of your favorite plants. We are going to, I think, going to try to do a rose show, uh, a little bit of a deeper dive into each of the roses eventually as well. Perhaps this year in our shrub month, 
Uh, mm-hmm. But we will let you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we did what? I think we did a show. Man, I keep doing that. I'm sorry, everybody. <laughs> um, we we did a shout out last week that we were going to do on an upcoming show. And maybe that's next week's show, Matt. Um, were those underused? I know that doesn't qualify for the roses, but like an underused perennial, one that people don't talk much about. Um, I thought maybe you and I could each pick five or we could get some listeners to kind of write in. I'd love to hear, you know, just a favorite p- perennial that's maybe a little bit more obscure. You never see it in anybody else's garden. <laughs> it, you know, it has a certain characteristic that you love about it um but it's not quote unquote one of the popular ones or they're harder to find maybe at the garden center or something like that so i thought you know we we could have fun with it and maybe i'm i don't know that i could come up with 10 i probably could come up with five and i thought if we could both do that or we get some listeners to write in and tell us about some of their um you know lesser known but really like really what's the word like hardworking long blue you know something interesting in their garden um and even if you're not in our zone that's okay we, we, there's somebody else listening who's in your zone right that's right yeah I love exploring the different plants that we can't grow here like in Sue's 7b or mm. you know down in Florida in a 10 or a 9 or 11 um so yeah that, that's a great thing so keep your that in mind next for between now and the next episode for your top five workhorses uh, that, you know, survive everything and bloom forever or just add that unparalleled interest in your garden. Mm-hmm. I've already yeah. got my first one in the top of my head. Me too, me too. I, but you know, sometimes <laughs> there's one that's in the background and it just is just your, you know, your reliable friend, right? That you yes. don't do anything and it doesn't change and it doesn't spread and, and stuff. If you want to, if you have a brat that does spread and seed, you know, we can mention it too. That might be why it's underused. Um, but uh, yeah, so I'd love to have some of those uh, listener comments and listener option choices out there. Um, but campanellas, you can't beat the color, right? That's right. And before we jump into the colors, I have to address another thing that I think you've probably gotten in your garden center too. How do you say it? Oh, yes. Because <laughs> you say know. campanella. Uh-huh. I, I say um, campanula, oh. but others say campanula. So yeah. it's one tomato, of those... tomato, potato, <laughs> potato. Exactly. <laughs> I, I think I see it with the Italian accent, maybe campanella. <laughs> so, oh. <laughs> I don't <Right>. know. <laughs> but yes, I think I think when we start describing it, um, you know, they're purple bellflower. Like would the common name be bellflower? Yeah, our common name is bellflower. So campanulas, okay. but our common we're often going to see them as our bellflowers. And there's mm-hmm. a different lot of different bellflowers yes um with lots of different names on them and like mm-hmm. our flocks we've got you know there's some upright taller forms and then there's some nice low growing um spreading flowering forms uh so they kind of complement our flocks nicely as well mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. what do we think let's jump in with uh you said with color yeah the per well they all well i think there's white right but they all are purple and white is there any pink there is some pinks, oh, yep, depending okay. on some of the different ones. Like, yeah, it's a very cottage, you know, like I think of them as like the cottage, go when you say cottage garden, although yes. flocks, I think flocks fits into that as well. Um, and definitely, even though they're bell flowered, they're all kind of different. Some are a little more open, some are a little tighter. Um, the waterfall, like if we talk about the low one first, um, the, is it wa- waterfall? Yep. Yeah. Waterfall is one of them. Yeah, so that was one of the ones that I used to uh, use quite a bit because I quite loved it. My thing is for them is I think they were just a little shorter lived. So I think that's why I kind of petered out because they kind of petered out on me. Um, So I don't know. I don't know if there's been some improvement in the varieties at all. And uh, um, but but yeah, I mean, I think they're very interesting in that you could have several different varieties of bellflower in your garden and you might not know that they're all campanellas. Yeah, exactly. Because the the blue waterfall one um, is actually a Serbian bellflower. Ah. Right. And then we get into some of the other ones, the Carpathian bellflower, clustered Dalmatians. Uh, so there's a lot of, of different ones. But like you were like you were saying, we've got anything from our blues, our purples, our light blues. Uh, there are some mauve and some lilacs that we can find within the different species, uh, some pinks and some whites. And again, like you were saying as well, they get their name from that bell shape, 
flower. So whether they're kind of upright or outward facing, like our Serbian bellflower or some of our Carpathian bellflowers, or they're nodding like the Korean bellflower, uh, we get a distinct bell uh, or trumpet kind of shape within the flower itself. Mm -hmm. uh, so a wide variety of how that bell is going to hang or what that's going to look like. Um, so, yeah, so looking at its growing conditions, um, we're going to see some, again, full sun with a lot of them tolerating a little bit of, of partial sun as well. Um, so full sun, but a little bit of protection as the day goes by, keeps them vigorous and a little, a little happier as they go. Okay. Zone wise, we're going to see a nice wide range anywhere from zone three. So upwards of Winnipeg all the way down. Uh, to zone nine, and I'm very quick to say, say a Canadian city name um, when I say the higher zones. So I'm going to have to learn some uh, key cities in the zones of like zone seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, <laughs> as we talk about these zone ranges. Yeah, um, and then soil conditions again for our growing conditions. They're going to prefer normal to average soil texture, so nothing too elaborate. Um, you know, just a, a normal to a sandy soil. Um, they can also tolerate some uh, dry soil or some average moist in the soil. They don't want to sit in a clay soil that doesn't mm. drain. Okay. So you've got a little bit of clay, but you've got some good drainage. Just make sure it is draining. Mm -hmm. um, clay is, is good. It's the only actual soil particle that holds food. Um, so clay gets that bad rap, but we don't want it sitting in clay or standing in, in water. So okay. uh, kind of like our flocks as well. Yeah. 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 Okay, and they could be um, very much a companion to our flocks that we talked about because they bloom more in June, right? So we, if we had our yeah. May, you know, May creeping fox flocks, and if you were going for that rock garden look and that kind of carpet, you could really um, achieve that with, I think, a lot of um, different flowering, you know, in addition to our sedums, which I think belong there because they, they just are such a hard worker and so easy, but, you know, adding the flocks and then adding... Uh, some of the waterfall Serbian bellflowers, like you mentioned, that uh, really, you know, will bloom June to August, and they might even bloom a second time mm -hmm. um, in early fall. And they look good, again, edging, rock garden, that type of thing. So I think it could definitely be, what's wrong? Oh, your volume just like dropped by half. Oh, <laughs> and better? No. Nope. Nope. Uh, she's okay going over the air. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Maybe it's okay. Me. Good. We'll I'm just okay. keep going. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. I mean, no one's ever told me I'm too quiet. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, so that is one thing. Um, and I think they really are pretty purple. Um, they're very easy to be. There's some houseplant ones too, right? So I think that that tends to be like a very grand, I want to say like a grandmother plant, like, like Nana, like did your Nana, the Nana's garden have them or? No, I didn't you know? plant because she was, oh, she shade. Was more shade. Yeah. So yes. I didn't have quite a thing. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, but yeah. you're right. Yeah. And that's our Dalmatian bellflower, the Campanula portentialangiana. If I butcher that at all, <laughs> but yeah, that's a native. None of us would know that, you know, Europe. yeah, but that's the one that you see with again. Yeah. Those nice thin, uh, upright bellflower types. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So how about the tall, uh, the more of the upright bellflower or campanella? Yeah. And that's where we're going to see, I think, what you were saying a lot of in the garden center. I remember too, um, way back when, when I was starting in the garden center, there were a lot of like the clustered bellflowers and the mm -hmm. hybrid bellflowers. And they were going to give you anywhere from two to four feet, um, depending on the ones that you found. Um, I think, again, the campanula um, Glomerata, that, that classic clustered purple one. Um, I'm, now I'm falling on the name, but I think it was Freya, was that early to midsummer blooming, very like rich purple or mauvey lilac, okay. uh, depending on that group. Um, I think that was one of the, the taller globe ones as well, um, but I might be wrong. Mm -hmm. the, uh, yeah, the Glomerata, sorry. I think I said something else. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was that was what I think of when I think of upright companions was that group, that mm -hmm. big ball, those clusters that went up the stem uh, above that kind of medium dark green foliage. Mm -hmm. Were those yeah. ones? And you know what? It just dawned on me as to why I stopped using them, actually, oh. is because there is one 
that I think was one that was sold in nurseries back in our day. Me too. Is that, are you listening? Yeah. Okay, yep, yep. You're good. <laughs> I'm like, your face. I'm like, whoa, I don't know where you went. Um, <laughs> but it is now become a weed. So it, mm. I know I at my old garden and I know when I shared plants for my old garden, which was like 14 years ago with people um, that it, so it's more of an invasive bellflower. I often see it in people's gardens and I'm telling them like, even though it blooms and it's pretty and it's beautiful purple flowers, uh, it is a runner and it is invasive and you can't let it bloom and you can't let it go to seed because you're never going to get rid of it. Um, so I think that's, that's the one plant that got me really to stop using them. You know, when I think about it, because it's a shame, because when you do see this plant bloom, it is lovely, stunning. but Absolutely you know, stunning. it's stunning, but it is part of that same family, unfortunately, right? it's a bellflower yep and uh, i know i purchased my first one you know so it's kind of like gut weed but i mean it's prettier um <laughs> you know it's something that they sell but it can be very invasive and uh very much like gut weed in the sense that you know with roots and getting it out is is really difficult digging it out is near impossible so so i think that's really why because i was never you know, I was just, it just made me sad. So that's kind of one of the things. So that's that aside, I mean, there are, especially the ground cover ones, there are some really lovely ones. And if you're getting the upright one, when it's in bloom at the garden center, as long as it's really nice and open or really clustered, right? Those would be the two extremes where I find the one that's invasive is much more of a, of a bell. Yeah, I think more of like some of the, the older hybrid ones or the ones that went mm -hmm. into some of the more modern hybrid ones um, and the, the Korean um, lilac as well, or Korean lilac, sorry, <laughs> Korean bellflower ah. in the show. Um, yeah, they are the ones <laughs> with a very distinct, yeah, that we've done that one. Matt. <laughs> They're the ones with a very distinct um, big long bell. That, mm -hmm. that you get is those ones and then again like you said there are some ground covers and medium-sized ones that have some very wispy uh looking spikes or racemes with some distinct little bells that can be invasive as well for sure uh, okay for okay sure. oh we got a um darlene has written in she said uh that Matt, you win the prize, an autograph book by Joanne Shaw and Matthew Dressing. That is the proper pronunciation of the plant. Well, thank you, Darlene. Um, yes, and you know, Matt is so good at all of those uh, botanical names and he does himself because the rest of us had no idea. <laughs> so uh, you can say whatever you want and we'll be like, woohoo. So thank you, Darlene. <laughs> but uh, thank you for verifying that he had that right. And Bob is asking if Campanella attract rabbits. We have so many of them on our property, I would not want more. Yeah, you know what, Bob, excellent question as we move mm -hmm. down into some of our uses. Um, you know what, especially the dwarf ones and the upright ones as well. They both, especially the dwarf again, um, show great rabbit resistance and some of them even oh. showing deer resistance as well. So great for rabbit resistance if you've got them creeping in and you want something with a little bit of resistance and some flower power, uh, definitely check out some of our dwarf low-growing um, bellflowers, our Rapido White, our Rapido Blue, are two of the common ones that we're seeing on the market still. Our mm -hmm. beech leaf, or sorry, beech leaf, birch, birch leaf. hybrid dwarf, mm -hmm. <laughs> blooming all the way from early summer through early fall, six to eight inches tall, 12 inches wide. So a nice low rabbit resistant ground cover. But Although yeah. I don't know, Matt, my my book has like when it's attracted to birds and butter hummingbirds and butterflies, it has a picture of the bird and butterfly as it is as meaning it's a good plant. And next to them, there's a picture of a deer. So I don't know. Does that mean that it attracts deer? <laughs> no, that's deer resistance. Deer resistance. <laughs> yeah. Um, and be deer resistance. <laughs> definitely, definitely. So keep in mind, um, Bob, that uh, rabbits don't like anything that's Got, has texture or fragrance mm. so things like cat mint that's scented russian sage that's scented um you know lamb's ear is like a meh plant but you could plant it in front of other things like it's not super yeah. it's not super attractive necessarily certainly the flower is not but the fuzzy leaves they don't like that so so definitely there are there are a few things to think of um that they don't like right those are the first two that pop into my mind do you think have you can you think of some others I think you got the, the oh, okay. classic ones for sure. Yeah. 
Yeah, anything that, well, even some of the herbs, like you can tuck in some of the herbs that have like the, the strong scents, like like rosemary and thyme and uh, and things like that. So the rabbits don't want um, anything scented. So yeah. that's uh, something to think about if that helps you uh, do deter the rabbits. So, yeah. That's right. Among the other um, uses, again, we've got some drought tolerant for our dwarf ones, great for rock gardens. Because of the long bloomers, unlike our um, Phlox subulata, our creeping one, um, I mean, if you're looking for a foliage, that would be a good texture. But a lot of the dwarfs, again, have long blooming time. So good for containers in rock gardens. Again, rabbit resistance, uh, some edging. Our upright ones, again, we're going to use them for cut flowers. Some of the smaller ones, um, you know, the two-foot ones might be a nice specimen uh, in a container because of a nice bloom time. And then mm -hmm. in the garden, we're going to use them again for mass plantings or borders uh, or specimens, something like uh, Kent Bell, which was one of the uh, popular upright hybrid bellflowers, um, up to four feet tall, two feet wide, distinct, that rich uh, purple downward turned bell-shaped flower blooming all summer long. Uh, Canterbury so bells, like that's another name, right? That's the another good name. Yeah, that's a, it's yeah. a much bigger cup bigger flower. Bell. Yeah, bug, bigger bell bigger bell bell <laughs> but that shades of purple you can't beat it you know no. um you really can't like and royal, royal and they do have white as well like you mentioned and i'm mm. thinking there wasn't there for a little while i don't know how successful it was but i thought there was a yellow one like foliage was yellow and the leaves were purple or am i mistaken even in the in the waterfall one wasn't there a waterfall one that the foliage Ooh. was chartreuse and the um I know. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm. I honestly don't know that one. If that okay. One. I'm gonna have to do some after yeah. the show research. Okay. <laughs> um. Yeah. So wonderful. Uh, I know. I know. So I think it's. I think there's a place for it. I really Definitely. do. And um. And it's just one of those that you know. It is um. Again, that cottage, you know, garden look and the English garden look, and mixing it with the other flocks, mixing it with some carpet roses, uh, mixing it with some cat mint or, um, you know, some hydrangeas could really, really, if, especially if you've got a small garden, I think the goal is to really maximize the the colors, like what's blooming, you know, from. So if you start with the the subulata flocks all the way to the campanellas and the and the paniculata floxes and some hydrangeas in there boom, you've got, you know, from May, if not April, till September, you've got color, right? Yeah, exactly. And that's what we liked about pairing our flocks with our bellflowers or our mm -hmm. is, you know, one's blooming and the other ones are growing and then that one stops and then these ones grow. So it helps kind of that succession of flower and that long seasonal interest. And to, like you said, bridge some of those weird gaps between like bulbs in the summer perennials uh, starting their bloom in June, right? Yeah, 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 definitely. And I think it's nice to have uh, perennials that go with each other and that are still fairly well behaved, aside from that one variety I mentioned, you know, um, but they're, they're also similar to flocks in that they stay put and, uh, you know, they're pretty reliable and not a lot of staking needed, that type of no. thing. So, uh, so yeah, so I think they're, they're a really good choice. And I love chatting about perennial month, but we're running out of, we've been doing this, I think this is our third or fourth year, right? We're running out of perennials, everybody, which yeah. is why I'm like, as we wind down our show, I am looking forward to next week that we can talk about some, you know, maybe we don't have a, we couldn't talk about one, that one plant for the whole show, but we can mention, you know, five each or something like that. Um, you know, of those like, you know, lesser used, but uh, still very, uh, very good, reliable um, uh, perennials. So next week, everybody. So please send us at um, it's our Down the Garden Path podcast at hotmail.com email this week. Send us pictures or send us some of your favorites. Um, I'd really like to hear about them. And I'm going to survey all my friends too. So, so that way I can make sure I have five for sure. Um, so yeah, so that that's almost a wrap. I know we, we we're short, a little shorter on time today, but we do want to tell Matt, do you want to talk more about the book? We do want people to. Yes. Well, uh, like, as Darlene was saying, um, an autographed book. I've actually got one in hand. That's right. Of our wonderful book. Um, so if you want to write us, um, we can arrange to get you an autographed copy. Again, down the garden podcast at hotmail.com. But yeah, definitely check out our brand new book, 
We've taken our all of our wisdom throughout the different podcast episodes. Mainly, I think what inspired us was our Month in the Garden series, where every Monday mm-hmm. evening, and again, they're still out there on your favorite podcast provider, um, and as well as our websites, where you can find you know the Month in the Garden, where we end, for example, June with July in the Garden, and we go through everything in July that you want to be looking for, from trees and shrubs to evergreen deciduous seeds and bulbs and annuals and perennials and much, much more uh, throughout the whole month, what you really need to do in an easy to follow, quick tip format. Um, You know, it's not long blocks of text. It's right to the point about the subjects that you need to make sure that your garden for that month is low maintenance and sustainable. So let us help you through all the months. We've got all 12 Mm -hmm. in our book. Um, Very easy. I think it's going for about uh, it's going on Amazon.ca right now, and I think they threw it on sale. So check out Amazon.ca or Amazon.com. That's right. Uh, for your copy right now. If you have bought the book, we'd love for you to leave us a review. Um, let the others know how wonderful you found the book, mm-hmm. and uh, let us know. So we'd love to hear from you. That's right. We would. We really would. We're very proud of it, and you guys have been a big support. And uh, how much you've enjoyed our our shows over the years on at these different months and stages like Matt was describing is uh, really why we felt like we needed to do that deeper dive in the book. And uh, yeah, we could have, you know, there's so much content, right? We had to to pull the plug at some point. Um, And we joked because when we initially started, we didn't know that we could get even to 100 pages. We were like, oh, man, do we have enough content? And our, you know, what would we do? Like we had to throw in some more pictures and quotes. We had all these extra things that we thought we could we could uh, do to uh, fill it up. But yeah, 100, what are we? 136 pages? 139. 39. There you go. So we had no trouble at all. So we are very excited about it. And we love sharing it with you as much as like we love sharing the show with you. That's right. And just as we close out the show for another week here on Reality Radio 101, uh, James has written in and said, Hello, Matt and Joanne. Is it me or is your show getting so much better (laughs) regarding topics? I can't believe how much I learned here. Thank you. And yes, James, we're always getting better because we're tackling wonderful topics uh, to help you achieve a great garden, going those deep dives. So always stay tuned in for new and exciting content every Monday night here at 7 o'clock on Reality Radio 101. Thank you, everybody, who's written in a question. Thank you for those who bought out and checked out the book. We're wrapping up. We'll see you next week here on Down the Garden Path, live on Reality Radio 101. Have a good week, everyone. Good night, everyone. Thank you for listening to Down the Garden Path with your host, Joanne Shaw. And Matthew Dressing, right here on Reality Radio 101.